it's Rainy G with the Holistic Health Hotline. Serious, serious, serious. This is going to be serious. Tonight, we're talking about fear, love, and wisdom. And, of course, it's going to be from a global and Native American perspective, and it all has to do with the mind, body, and spirit. But because I am an American, and we are in America, it will be the mind, body, and spirit of America in relationship to the globe and Native America and love and fear and wisdom. Um, hard things to define for most people. When you talk about fear and love, and I always have talked about fear and love as being the only two emotions that exist in this world, that's energy and motion. We are all energy, and we have some energy going on in our planet that is absolutely frightful. Um, it comes from ego um, to begin with. And I'm not, I may not even mention names tonight, I don't know, but it, it starts from ego. And egos are most successful when they tap into the fear that people have and the lack of ego that people have. That's when other egos are the most prominent. Um, and they do it with words of love. Words, I'm saying words. They do it with words of love and hope. And, and they make people believe that they can aspire to something different than what they have now. And um, so we go into these, these processes of not understanding that when we are actually fearing someone, um, that we are acting as if we love them. And that sometimes when we act like we love someone, it's because we fear them. And, uh, and we have to find that division, that line. We have to understand the definition and we have to find it in our own hearts or our whole world is going to continue to crumble um, right before our very eyes because we're, we're unclear of what all that means. And it's not, you know, it's nobody's fault. It's everybody's fault. And it's nobody's fault. And it's everybody's fault because we've allowed ourselves, we've allowed, as individuals, we've allowed ourselves to, to move away from what love is um, and understanding what love is as individuals, but then as, as groups, as societies, as communities, as states, as countries, as, as continents. We have lost sight of what love is. Um, I know even with our children, we reward inadequacy. We reward failure. We, um, we reward misbehavior. We allow them to play video games where they're killing people. We allow them to watch televisions that are filled with sexual, sexual content and sex violence and hatred. Um, because we love them? Is that why we do that? Is that love? Or is it fear? Are we so afraid that our children won't like us tomorrow? That we don't know how to love them, how to give them that love in the first place, how to show them that love is sometimes tough, that it, it sometimes is stopping you and keeping you from stepping over a line that you will someday regret stepping over. We start with our children and we start with our inner children. Why do we as parents allow our children to do these things um, out of fear? I mean, why are we so afraid of these kids not liking us? We go back to our inner children, those, those little parts of ourselves that somehow felt abused or neglected or abandoned or not loved, not liked, not appreciated, not seen, not heard. Um, a big 
the process has gone on from uh, from the early second generations, you know, two generations ago, to our generation, um, and I'm talking about mine as, as parental. Uh, from the 30s, from the 20s, when when immigrants, legal immigrants, came to the United States and wanted to be the best Americans they could, and and they they disciplined their children in ways that we wouldn't do today, probably, but they did it in for a reason. They were afraid. They loved them, but they were afraid. They were afraid that if their children misbehaved and did things like children will do sometimes, but did things that didn't, um, that weren't agreeable to the to the community members uh, that where they live now in America, that they might not be able to be Americans, that they might get shipped home, that they might get separated, um, that they might be chastised, they might be persecuted like they were in their own countries. And so they're very strict in many ways with their children and often violently strict. And it depends on which culture you came from. You know, some, some of the immigrants came from Western European countries and were... Um, not Catholics, but religious for sure. They believed in God. Most of them were Christians, and they they were either you know Catholics or Episcopals or whatever. And then there were the Protestants and and the the uh, Puritans who were originally here first of all. And 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 their their part of their inner self said, "Don't do anything." that you shouldn't do because you might not be able to live in this great country if, if you let your kids do it or you do it. Another part allowed them to be who they are and they listened to their souls on those levels and and tried to instill values into their children that were strong American values, which wasn't it amazing that those immigrants could learn those values and instill them in their children so quickly. Um, it's because they loved the country. They weren't fearful of the country. They were fearful of losing this new country. So out of fear of losing a country, they exhibited behaviors and, and um, imposed behavior restrictions on their family members and themselves. But it was because of love, love of this country. Why did they love this country? You know, what made them love a country and so many people today hate this country? And I don't mean the people from the outside. I don't mean the radical extremists. You know, if you really travel around the world, if you really um, talk to people, not the not the, uh, the fanatics who do the blogging and, and, and are in the comments for all the news pages on the Internet and all that stuff. I mean, stay away from them. They're nuts. But anyway, if you really talk to just people, They'll have anger about certain things that America has done. And then they have anger about things that have happened in their country. Sometimes they talk about things that have happened in their country that they believe America caused. Um, most of the time, they will talk about their countries as, as being their country, and they love their country, but they wish they could be in America because they love the freedoms of America, not the immoral freedoms, not the freedom to kill that everybody thinks we have here, not the freedom to hate, but the freedom of speech and the freedom to be. And they love it, and they'd like to be here, and they wish they could. Now, if you talk to a few more, they're saying, we don't know what's going on with America, but I don't want to be there right now, because it's not the country I knew. And those are people who aren't Americans. Those are people who I touch. I touch people on every continent. <laughs> um, 
and and they will write me or comment on the podcasts or comment on on the web pages or whatever. And and they they talk about these things all the time, and uh, they're fearful for us as Americans. They don't understand why we're allowing all these things to happen. Some of these people are from Germany and um, oh, some of them in France, you know, some of the quasi-socialist countries out there who know that it's not working. Some of them are from countries that used to be socialist, from Russia. I have listeners in Russia who were under that, um, the Union of Socialist, Soviet Socialist Republic, communism, which is basically what they were under, who, who will write and say, keep talking, because Americans need to listen. They need to hear that this is not going to work in their country. Now, what we don't understand in America is that these things have been in force and been in play for decades. However, there is one puppet master who began in 2002 um, to try to change America. If you've read his books, any of his books, any of his papers, you would know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow with Obama's speech in Egypt. You would know exactly what's going to happen next month. You would have known about GM and Chrysler. You would have known what was going to happen with the financial institutions. You would have known this way ahead of time. Now, part of it is prophecy, of course, and part of it is laid out in the, in the Bible and all that stuff. However, go back to reality in your present tense and, and know who's really behind what's going on here. We have a man named George Soros. This is one of the most evil people in the world. He's a multi, multi, multi-billionaire. He probably has more money than anyone ever, including um, the, the king of Saudi Arabia and, and the prince of Saudi Arabia and um, put all those people together and you might have you know, his pocket change. He has capitalized on destroying the free markets of different countries. He's destroyed banks. Okay, He has capitalized on those things because he was a hedge fund and is a hedge fund manager. has even capitalized on our recession to the point of $2.3 billion in his own name. Now, some people say, well, he's a great philanthropist. He gives to educational funds and grants for education and um, does all these things with his money. Well, there's also major, major things he does with his money. It's based on an ideology, and that ideology is an open society. That's a new world order, not on George Bush's terms or the Bush administration terms, but on a Hungarian Russian who lives in America. <laughs> who now claims America as his own and wants to change it. Um, hated the fact that he couldn't get George Bush out of office because he tried in 2004. He contributed more than $15 billion to get rid of George Bush and to do it with a grassroots kind of organization um, and destroy him. And, and he didn't. And for some of those who are anti-Bush people, you say, you know, it's too bad, I wish he had. Uh, we're not going to go there, okay? The rights of wrongs, rights and wrongs of war and the biblical side of George Bush and whose puppet was he and all those kinds of things. What I want to get to is, is this evil that we are now afraid of and aren't realizing that we're afraid of it. And so we try to love the object of his affection. So what he did after 2004 is he got totally enraged that he lost there. 
And he said, in no uncertain terms, that what he needed to do was to replace the Democratic Congress, I mean the, uh, the Republican Congress, with Democrats first, and then to make sure that he, he had a Democratic president. Remember what Nancy Pelosi said about three weeks ago when she was talking about the torture and stuff, is that um, her job wasn't to really pay attention to these things that the CIA were saying to her. Her job was to make sure that she got a Democratic Congress and then got a Democratic president. Um, her chief counsel is George Soros' right-hand man, so, of course, their philosophies are the same. And um, if you talk to Bernie Frank, you'll hear the same thing. <laughs> and, and, they, and they do this. And what do we do? We sit back. If, we, if you are one of the people who fell in love with Barack Obama, you were supposed to. It was planned. I mean, George Soros said, I need a man with charisma who understands my ideology, who will say what I need him to say and do what I need him to do. That's why you have the teleprompters. That's why Barack Obama screws up. So obviously when he does screw up, um, bowing, you know, in, in Riyadh, you don't bow to kings if you're the president of the United States. You don't. But it was automatic for him to do that because he has such admiration for these people who are kings and rulers. And so without even thinking, he bowed and then realized later the consequences of this as being the president. Because being the president is just a title. It's a public title. George Soros is pulling the strings. Now, I told you some time ago that the markets are going to change up and down according to what Soros needs the public to believe. Okay? So when the, um, when the GM... Uh, bankruptcy court went on and it was announced that GM was now in bankruptcy uh, and that 70% of GM was being owned now by us and you know the larger percentage another large percentage by the union the market went up there was this big surge 246 points all you have to do is if, if you're a multi multi-billionaire is change your investments to make the market jump and that's exactly what happened Okay, now, today, the market went down. Okay, the reason for that is that um, Osama bin Laden let go with a tape, and there were some economic figures that were blamed for all of these things. But we want to, as Americans, we want to be told that, gee, I... Osama bin Laden has this tape out there that possible that we're in trouble, but look at this wonderful president who's extending the olive branch and his smile to the Middle East. Okay? That's, but there's fear here. So if there's a little bit of fear, let's mark the, let's make sure that the market goes down so that people still feel that pain. They don't feel joyous about the market going up and maybe the recession is over, especially they shouldn't. But, um, but they still feel fearful so that they'll follow their leader. And when you hear this speech tomorrow, I hope you read between the lines and you listen very carefully. Because I don't know what the speech is. Am I on the inner, inner circle? Hell no. But I'm doing this podcast at 10.30 Central Standard Time in the United States. Um, his speech will not come out until 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. And basically what Barack Obama is going to say to the, the Muslim world is that he, of course, is part of 
He said to France, by the way, yesterday, that, that America has the largest Muslim population in the world. That's a lie. We're number 38 on the list, but he, would, he wants it to be that way. Okay, he's going to say to the Muslim world that we are, um, we want to be leaders in helping all of the Mideast to cooperate to further their prosperity and their growth and their strength. That America wants to be a part with them. Because if you read George Soros's books, that's exactly what he says in his books, is he wants a global open society and that the main problem is the United States of America because they don't want to play by the same rules. Well, of course not because we're America. But he needs to force them to play by the same rules so he will have a leader in the United States of America who will convince people that we need to hold out the olive branch, apologize for all of our shortcomings so that people will forgive us and accept us as equal partners so that we can do a global financial um, bank, a global economic growth, a global set of rules and justice, a global set of laws, an international set of laws that are followed instead of local constitutions like ours, um, and that all of this will help all of the Mideast countries and the Europeans to come together as one. Eventually, he's, he's going to probably, because he's using the Internet, and this is only the first step, he's got his speech being translated in 13 or 15 different languages, whatever it is. But one of the things of a global open society is also to change the language. So first you change the currency so that everybody's spending money is the same language because money talks, okay? And then you change the language. Excuse me, the language, so that there is no mess up, so that nobody um, can say something in a different language that you don't understand. So everybody starts learning in kindergarten one one language that will be universal and international, and then we have this big international uh, multilateral community with America showing leadership but not being the leadership of the power. Now, there's been a big fear <clears throat> from many since World War II about America's power. And it hasn't come from outside of America. It's come from within. Where does that fear come from? Where does it come from? Why are people afraid of America being as strong and united and just as it has been or was? Where does it come from? Why isn't there a love of country that is so strong that, that says, that it can say, <clears throat> I disagree with what this person is doing or that philosophy or that policy. I will <clears throat> accept this, this policy or that philosophy because it's being done justly under the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. Why aren't we strong enough to have love for this country when we disagree? Why does it turn to hate? And then, of course, fear. Because fear is the bottom or the base of hate. That's where hate comes from. It's from fear. It doesn't come from love. I don't understand it. I grew up, again, loving my country. I had some bad experiences this last week. I, I was actually out at um, a, a veterans clinic. Um, a lot of people there were legs and no arms, a lot of people who fought in multiple wars, uh, who are still proud of who they are, 
and they, I think they actually go to the Veterans Center so that they can feel more because they're more accepted and more understood there. People know what they're saying when they talk about what it means to defend your country, to fight for your country, to be part of a group that's doing that, to believe in your country enough to disagree with your president or disagree with your Congress but still fight for your country, to salute your flag and know that the flag is implanted in the earth that you are walking on and growing food on and working on and getting paid for and you're working on and getting paid a job on and driving on and all those things that you do in this country you do because of those guys and women because from the very beginning from the revolutionary war and right on through to today when the time came to defend what this country stood for and who this country is some stepped up and they did it. Now, being a veteran, of course, I, I was able to communicate with many on a different level than most other people who were veterans could because I can talk about what happened, you know, in Vietnam and with Vietnam veterans. Um, I can feel the oppression that is coming again because personally it's happened to me where I've had people spit at my car because it has a, a license plate on it that honors the Marine Corps. Um, and today, actually, I took my mother to the eye doctor and um, with the dog, <laughs> had her little Maltese in the car, and <clears throat> went just to pull into a parking place. There were about ten parking places close to the door that were all open, so I, I pulled in number two, I guess it was. And this woman um, pulled up next to me and started screaming at me because I'd taken her place, which, you know, there's ten places, number one, so I didn't, there's really... <laughs> I didn't take anybody's place, but um, I was obviously there for her. She pulled up behind me and then next to me started shouting. And then she began to really rant and rave because she sees that Marine Corps stuff on my car. And and uh, she knows I must hate it that Obama got in office and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down. He's going to blow us all up. And he's, I mean, she was carrying on like you wouldn't believe it. She was a black woman. Now, normally, if somebody says a couple things like that to me, I just basically laugh at them because there's, I mean, what the hell. But this woman could tell, this was a rampage for a good ten minutes. Um, if I hadn't had the dog in the car, I would have gotten out of the car. But again, I had the dog in the car, and I can't leave him because he just, he freaks out. And he's just, he's kind of old. He almost died last week and all that stuff. But, so we sat there screaming at each other through the windows. And I basically saw a rise in my racism. And in my nationalism and in my patriotism, I mean, all of those things came up to the surface. My love of country was the most dominant feature. Not my hatred for her or for her skin color or her race or her religion or her height, which is probably three feet taller than I am, or her weight, which was 200 pounds more than I am, or whatever. I was supposed to be afraid of her rampage, and I wasn't afraid. I, w I got angry. And I eventually said things to her that I, uh, you know, some of my friends would, would, would probably pull a hair out of my head for because um, she got me. She really got to me. And, and, it, and it became this, this black and white um, patriot, non-patriot, capitalist, socialist fight. You know, she's going to have everything. I mean, 
She she thinks I would. She she's you you're gonna be mad because Obama won and that's why you don't like it because he won. That's why you had all that shit on your car and all this stuff. It's like, <laughs> you know, I don't like it that he won. I wouldn't have liked it if McCain won either, because both of them are progressives. That's the problem. And but one of them is more left and more progressive, which doesn't mean a good thing. Progressive isn't a good thing um, than the other. And so no, of course I'm not happy that he won. I'm I'm more unhappy that we're not doing anything to stop him. But anyway, it turned into this huge, huge thing. And afterwards, I, mean, I was physically and emotionally upset about this for some time afterwards because I just couldn't believe that um, that I was being attacked for supporting the Marines, which I was a member of. And, of course, once you're a Marine, you're always a Marine. So that I still am a member of. And I'm, I'm part of the Marines Association and all that stuff. And I do honor Marines. My father was our Mayor Corps pilot. All my uncles were in the army, or, or otherwise. Um, my brother was a marine. I come from people who, who were, uh, my father's side were first. Gen my father was first generation um, immigrant. His father came here on a boat when he was 13, and my grandmother came here when she was 11. And they built a house, and they vegetables, and they built a business, and they had children, and they built a life. And part of that <clears throat> life was to instill in their children love of country, so that when World War II happened, my five uncles um, all went to war at once. They all joined the Army. My father joined the Army Air Corps. He was the only pilot. But they all joined the Army. I don't see that today. I think if we got attacked by seven countries, half of this country would sit back and say we deserve it because we're being told that. We're being told that we were wrong, that we're evil, that we're bad, that we apologize for, for ever imposing any of our values on anyone. You know, understand that we didn't care before World War II. We were isolationists. We, we didn't care about world trade. We didn't care about what was happening in Europe. We didn't even care about what was happening in the, in the Jewish camps and the Nazi Holocaust camps. We didn't care until we got pushed into it. We had to go until the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. All we were doing was helping the British. We were supplying planes to Britain and, and China because China was fighting um, uh, the Chiang Kai-shek thing was going on in China. So we were just helping them with goods and services. And for many, many months, Jewish people were writing to Americans saying, help us. And, we, and Americans were saying, I don't know what's going on. You know, we're Americans. We're over here. It has nothing to do with me. And then we got bombed. And when we lost, you know, a few thousand people in Pearl Harbor, uh, and it came home to roost. People signed up very quickly and said, i got to defend my borders. i got to defend my country. They dropped what they were doing. It didn't matter what they were doing. They dropped what they were doing, and they went to war. So did the women. So did the children. Everybody worked together to make sure that this country not only survived the depression and the war, and, the, and they do go together, but were triumphant. We wanted to win. We didn't want to be the losers. We didn't go to war just to go to war. We said, nobody comes after my family. My family is America. Nobody comes after my family because I love my country. 
And when I love my country, I can criticize it, I can discipline it, I can go through the voting process and cause punishment for things that, that shouldn't have been done. But don't let anyone else try to do it because this is my country. It's my family. And so we did that in World War II. And afterwards, when we built an Air Force and we, we all of our ingenuity came to the surface and we were able to boost manufacturing to a place that no place, no one in Europe could do. Um, we were able to transcend the oceans, which no one in Europe could do. And we finally got to a point, and it wasn't a good point, it wasn't a good decision. I wrote a screenplay about the man who made this decision and who built the Air Force. I wrote the screenplay. I know his history. And, and when it came time to say, do we stay in this and lose another 100,000 people? another 100,000 soldiers, or do we go ahead and use the bomb and stop this insanity? Well, you know, when you're a general or a, or a leader or um, a visionary or somebody who understands that we're suffering here because of all of this, you go ahead and do the hard thing. So they dropped the bomb. I don't agree with it, but if I was in the position to make that that call and I had to think about do I want to lose another 100,000 people soldiers or do I want to stop the insanity so it doesn't happen anymore that's 100,000 soldiers you know a month not 10 years but in a month so over the course of another year of war we lost a million more um, or more you know you make those hard decisions and you live with them now, they ended up killing more people than they thought they were going to kill, that's for sure. They had no idea what these bombs could do. And they had to do it. Once they found out what the bombs could do, do you think we dropped 10 more the next year? Hell no. We backed up as Americans and said, we, now we know the extent of our technology and the damages it can cause. <coughs> And once we knew that, we knew that we we had power, and that we had to harness that power, and we had to make sure that other people didn't have that power. That sounds too easy for some people, and they'd rather get angry about that and say we should have destroyed the bombs, but there's an evolutionary historical process that went on, you know. Um, there were two powers that emerged after World War II. Um, which then, of course, evolved into the Cold War between Russia and the United States. Russia believed that communism was the way the world should go, and socialism, and the United States said, no, you know, free enterprise, and capitalism should be the way the world should go, and, and other countries who we had helped, who knew that we liberated them, who knew that we helped them win this war against imperialism from Japan, said help us you know if we need help we need to rebuild and we need this and we need that and so we did we loaned them all the money just like China's loaning us and uh, loaned them all kinds of things so that they could rebuild their societies and their countries and, and um, become prosperous again but because we loaned them the money we also became more powerful so then Korea comes along North Korea and South Korea and guess what they're still here aren't they we still have a North and South Korea problem and the South Koreans pleaded for our help. So what happens? We get into this policing action. That's what it was originally called. It was a police action in Korea to, to stop North Korea from 
trying to overtake South Korea, who were our allies. And so we get into this police action, and of course the Chinese are then involved with the North Koreans. And, um, and that was something that shouldn't have happened, but there's two Chinas, you know, there's not just one. So there was part of the China that we don't like. Um, chose to go North Korea. And so we got into a policing issue, but not to make this a whole history lesson, we had to get out of there, okay? Um, we actually had some periods of peace for just a little while. You know, Korea Korea lasted. My father went back to Korea, actually, um, as a pilot, but so he wasn't around when I was a little, little baby. But, um, you know, so Korea into the mid-50s, and when people came back to America then, it was like, we need to rebuild here because our guys have been gone for a long time. We had World War II, we had Depression, we had Korea. We had to get out of all this stuff and start rebuilding. So the entrepreneurs, you know, went... Um, uh, full speed ahead and started building small businesses which small business runs America they hire people whether it's 7 or 10 or 50 or 150 or, or 500 those are small businesses not, not the little one that has one person working in it but the real small businesses that hire people and, and started this economy growing so that by the 60s the early 60s we were so strong and, and prosperous and all these things that, of course, our internal strife had to begin. So we had to have the civil rights movement because one part of our society felt left out of that growth. Um, there are black leaders today who say that was their fault because they weren't educating their children or pushing them to do what they needed to do, and that's why they didn't do anything. And then there are others who are liberals on the other side who say it was all white people's fault because we didn't help them do it. And then there are people who are white who say, no, it was their own fault because I worked hard and I, I you know, scraped from the bottom of the barrel to make sure that I had a dime here and a dime there until I saved enough to, to build um, a computer in the garage. So, you know, it's all, it's all part of this evolutionary process. But back to the whole love and, and, and fear thing, the reason that that internal conflict was happening is because one part of our society that was obviously doing well, I mean, we were living in peace and prosperity, but one part of our societies was afraid they were going to be left behind. So their leaders, fortunately, said, let's do peaceful things to regain some of that power that all these other people have. And they marched and they did their thing. We had Gandhi over in India and we had Martin Luther King here. And, um, uh, anyway, those, those things went on and some of it was violent, some of it hurt, but change happened. And people who had helped many of the white people in society become who they were then could now become anything they wanted to become. Um, and America changed, so it, under, it tried to understand what was going on with this other society that, that they had rejected for so long. But because it's America, they did it. <laughs> they did it. It's a slow process. I mean, there's still racism everywhere. And it's also reverse racism everywhere. You know, I, again, I was at that, that veterans clinic, and um, every time... I'm white, so every time I went to a station there uh, and had to hand in a piece of paper or do this or do that, and it was a white person on the other side, everything was fine. When it was a non-white, whether it was Hispanic, black, or Chinese, or otherwise, Asian of some kind, 
if there was one of those nationalities standing next to me or behind me or around me, they got picked first. Now, if we had done that as white people, if we used to pick white people, and I know they did back in the 50s and the early 60s. I know that in some states. I didn't grow up in a state like that. But, <clears throat> but if we had done that yesterday, if we said, uh, I'm here, you come first, and push back somebody of color or another another. Uh, it wasn't Caucasian, uh, you get arrested. <laughs> so I've seen the reverse racism up close and personal and, um, and don't like it either. Um, but we have, we, maybe we've come to a point where we are better. It doesn't mean we're perfect, we're just better. Now we're in a state of chaos that isn't good. And I have tried over the course of the last six months to educate you or to help you see that you need to get educated about what is going on here. So the puppet master, George Soros, is handling the puppet who is Obama, Barack Hussein Obama. They even picked the name. I mean, you people who fell in love with this man, you have been charmed. I mean, you've been snake charmed. And, and you can bitch about it and say I'm wrong and scream all you want that I'm some right-wing conservative whatever who I'm not. I am a realist, and I see what's going on, and I'm also spiritual, and I feel it, and um, and I still weep for my country. And you could say, well, the country was screwed up, so you shouldn't be weeping for it because it was doing everything wrong, and it was no good. Well, if it was that bad, um, why didn't you leave? Why didn't you go back to where you belong, wherever that is? You know, Poland or Russia or Japan or Germany or England or... or uh, Africa or South America, wherever it is, if this country has been so bad to you, get the hell out. You know? I'll stay here and constructively bring it back to the strength that I had in 1776. I'll stay here and work with people to, to re-understand re the Constitution of the United States and the Declaration of Independence. Not make it a living document like Sonia Sotomayor wants to do. That's what Barack Obama believes in. That you don't follow the rule of law. You look at a black person or a Hispanic or a Latino or a Chinese person or a Japanese person or a South American person and you say, Oh, well I know you, you had to kill that person because of your circumstances, so you're off the hook. Or you look at a white person who has struggled all their lives and worked very hard and made a lot of money and maybe still has some of it after all of this, and you say, you know what, you've been privileged all your life, and I'm going to remove those privileges from you because you were wrong. That's not how you interpret the Constitution. I went to law school, too, for some time, so that's not how you do it. I mean, it, the rule of law is the rule of law. You don't take your personal experiences. And I used to argue, you know, in, in law school classes, I say, yeah, but, you know, I come from a place of blah, 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 and my law professor's like, too bad. I don't care if you come from there. The rule of law is the rule of law. You have to, you know, um, disconnect yourself from your past and your heritages and your feelings and your oppressions and all of your hatred and your internal inner child crap and be a lawyer who then becomes a judge. And a judge doesn't reinterpret or legislate from the bench but interprets the rule of law according to the case 
not the person's background or her background or his background, whatever, but according to the facts. And they adjudicate based on those facts. So now we're going to have a Supreme Court justice, and oh, how sly it is. Let's make sure it's a Latino woman so that the left really gets on my side. And then pick the woman who, and she's smart, you know, she's engaging, she's a good person, but she has an ideology that is not American. It is anti-American. So why be a judge here then? Go be a judge somewhere else. Um, This woman who attacked me in the parking lot, I ended up saying to her, if you hate it here so much, if you really think that the United States of America is supposed to be a welfare state and a third world country, then go back to some third world country. Go be there. Leave my country alone. And, of course, she couldn't handle it. It's like Obama's the savior, and he's going to put all you white people in your place. Well, I've been in my place forever. I never hurt a soul, never killed anyone. Try not to lie, ever. Made sure my kids were always respectful of all individuals and came from love and not hate. And now I'm coming from a place of anger because they're taking away my country. And and what I want people to do on this podcast is to go viral. I really believe that we have to stop podcasting and interneting and blogging and uh, emailing and IMing and texting and flickering and tweeting and all that stuff. We need to get the hell off these things. Put a backpack on your back. Bring bring along whatever you need to bring. And we need to go march on Washington on July 4th, Independence Day. And not 500 people, not 50,000 people, not 5,000 people with tea bags, but 5 million or more people who say, this is it, we're done. You can't do this anymore. You're not going to socialize health care. You're going to unsocialize these car companies because, you know, um, Russia tried it. That's where Volkswagen came from. You know, Volkswagen meant the people's car. Everyone had to drive the same car. I don't want to drive a Volkswagen, and I don't want to be told what to drive. I don't want to be told that I have to have health care. I'm going to be fined. I don't want to be... Um, uh, channeled into anything by the government. I want the government to be there to enforce peace and protect my country and protect our values and protect our freedoms and to provide the roads, you know, and the bridges, um, the infrastructure, the, the electric lines if we need them, the telephone lines, all those kinds of things. But stay out of business and stay out of my business. Um, I don't want to be taxed to death. You hear about the national tax? That's a tax on a tax on a tax on a tax that you won't see as a tax. So by the time you see that $1 thing that you were going to buy, it'll be $3.50. Can you afford that? Now add that, take that $3.50 and add inflation, which we're going to be in hyperinflation because the value of the dollar has gone down to nothing because of Timothy Geithner, and that $3.50 will now be $5.75. This was something you were going to buy for a dollar yesterday. It's $5.75 today. Now aren't you happy that you got the extra $5 in your paycheck? Okay, you know, lived up to all the promises, right? I really believe 5 million or more people and they're not going to put five million in jail. You know, they might pick ten, and they can pick me if they want. I will die for my country. I will die for my freedom. I will go to jail for my freedom. I'm not going to pay taxes anymore. I'm not going to pay the taxes that they want me to pay. Um, and if you don't think they're coming, you're foolish. 
Um, I'm not going to drive a uh, Amcar. Now, you know Amtrak, the only train service we have in this country, Amtrak. Remember that? Do you know how it happened? Have you done that research at all? Well, Amcar is coming. And you will be fine if you have a car that doesn't meet the standards that the government company wants to meet. So if you don't have a car that's meeting the standard of 36 or 40 or 52 or whatever it's going to be miles per gallon, um, you'll be fine for every miles per gallon over under yours that your car does until you get rid of your car. They just passed the law in Congress today. Cash for the clunker. You can get some cash, 45, up to $4,500 for your old clunker if it, if it doesn't get at least 32 miles to the gallon or whatever it is so that you can put that $4,500 towards a new car. Well, who says you can afford the difference? <laughs> They're going to give you $4,500 so you can go out and buy a new car when you can't afford to buy a new car. That's exactly what they did. That's what Barney Frank did. Um, and Nancy Pelosi and Harry Reid. That's what they did. And, and uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac to get people to go out and buy houses when they couldn't afford to buy a house. So they're doing the exact same thing with the auto industry now. And the government's going to run GM, Government Motors. Have you seen the government run anything? The U.S. Post Office, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. Have you seen them run any business that has succeeded? <laughs> They don't. So we have to take the country back. And that doesn't mean going there with guns or anything. Pitchforks may be good. I don't know. Something like that. But we definitely need to go. And we need to go soon. And we need to have it organized. And it needs to go grassroots. And it, it's not one group from California who has one ideology and another group from Arkansas. It's everybody united saying, we're not going to take it anymore. We're not going to take it anymore. You're not going to socialize my country. That this is the United States of America. I'm an American. I want my country back. And if that means getting rid of Barack Hussein Obama and his vice president and Nancy Pelosi and Harry Reid, then, then we will. We'll get him out of office. And we don't know who's going to come in. We have no idea who's going to take over. But that'll be fine because whoever it is will have to step up because they're an American. <clears throat> Because they want to be an American because they love America. And Mr. Charm can try to charm his way out of whatever. Um, the, the people who are snake charmed will follow him. That's fine. It's been prophesied that you will. You know, I'm, I'm not going to judge you on that. It's been told in the Bible and all of the other places that prophecies are, the Mayan prophecies, the Native American prophecies, that you will be charmed by this man and you will be charmed into hell. So I... I um, as a Christian person, I guess I should pray for you. Uh, but I'm not going to say. I, I, I really don't think of things that way. I think, you know, you have charted your own destinies and done your voting and done your thing. And um, and what's going to happen to you is going to happen to you. And you'll be on the outside. So the sheep, you know, you can follow the sheep. Um, or you can be the little black sheep who runs away and says something's wrong here. And, and you'll get rescued. Not by the government, but by people who believe in America. Um, that then brings us to the third point, which is wisdom. There was no wisdom involved in the elections in November. It was fear and love. All manipulated by a man who wants power from ego. George Soros, who found the proper people who could charm his way into your heart so that you thought you loved him instead of your country. And now you do. You love him and not your country because you're fearful. <laughs> and you're going to be more fearful. And as the fear builds up, 
you know, you're going to want to love him more because he's the only one that can save you. Um, but that's not love. And that's where you have to do the work. That's not what love is. And that's certainly not where wisdom is. Where Sonia Sotomayor says, you know, um, a wise Latino woman would make better judgments than a white man on what? Only on being a Latino woman, not on the rule of law. Wisdom comes from experience, but it mostly comes from love. You can't have wisdom without both. Children aren't born with wisdom because they don't have the experience. They just have the love. Old people don't die necessarily with wisdom because they have too much experience and they've lost the love. Okay? You have to have love to have wisdom. And uh, none of the stuff that we're doing right now is wise. None of it. Because it's not coming from the right place. It's not coming from, from love. It's coming from fear. So if I can instill some fear in you, then maybe we'll push you towards loving your country. Then I hope I, 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 hope I can. Because I, I have already written to senators. I have started writing other letters. Um, I really believe people have to take back this country, and we have to do it now. Not when it's too late. Don't sit back, you know, six months from now and say, I don't, I don't know why I didn't see this coming. Spread the word and make it viral. Do it. Have it. Make it happen. Take charge. Do your thing. Don't be afraid. Um, go to earthwalk-usa.com. We'll be back as soon as we can.